2: As I was watching my clients go through a certain process, from really suffering and not believing that they're capable of healing or that it wouldn't happen for them, to actually starting to have a little bit more mental stamina and starting to have a little bit of belief in themselves and in the process, to actually taking longer and longer strides towards feeling better and healing.
1: Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie busson and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about cannabis and mental health. We'll discuss mental training for healing your body. We'll hear about three great overlooked grains. And lastly, we'll find out how mindful communication can help you. But first, a little bit of business. The Zoomer Show, Canada's largest expo for living well, is back at the Intercare Centre in Toronto on October 26th and 27th. There's hundreds of exhibitors, the latest trends in health, fitness, food, and travel. And there's live music, too. Plus, there's an expert panel on medical cannabis hosted by me, Jamie Busson, and a special appearance by hockey legend Wendell Clark. The Zoomer Show, presented by Chip Reverse Mortgage. You can visit zoomershow.ca and enter promo code TONIC to get tickets for only $10. That's zoomershow.ca, promo code T-O-N-I-C. The Zoomer Show. Live longer, live better. Dr. Mandeep Singh is a well-established psychiatrist currently employed at Apollo Applied Research and holds the position of Director of Wellness Programs at Be Well Health Clinic in Toronto. His extensive and broad experience includes ER, urgent care, and outpatient psychiatric care at Trillium Health Partners, as well as working with veterans in Canada and the United States. Dr. Singh is trained in both psychopharmacology as well as psychotherapy and has particular areas of interest in ADHD and sports psychiatry. Alongside patient care, his educational background includes being a part-time faculty member at the University of Toronto, and he holds a Master's in Public Administration and Public Policy from Syracuse University. He'll also be participating in the Cannabis Roundtable discussions that I'll be moderating at the Zoomer show today and tomorrow afternoon. Welcome to the show, Doctor. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for having me. So we've covered cannabis on the show all sorts of different ways, but today our focus is going to be on cannabis and mental health which is your expertise, which is a good thing we right. got you here. <laughs> I'm
0: the man to talk to.
1: Exactly. So I know from learning a bit about you in conversations we've had that you advocate for a holistic approach to mental health. What does that mean?
0: So generally the approach I've always taken to, even if it should be general health as well, but mental health is looking at uh, the person as a whole. Now psychiatrists are known to, yeah, you know, doll out the medications just yeah. help pushers, right? So I like to say I'm quite not like that. So really at the end of my actual consultations, I usually start with saying, okay, you know, these are like my three tiers of, you know, uh, recommendations. And the first tier is like lifestyle, diet, exercise, being socially engaged. Again, like lifestyle, things that would be uh, helpful in terms of a person's whole, you know, Approach to living healthy. Right. Uh, the second tier, then, uh, I also in- include in those first tier uh, recommendations massage, naturopath, you know, acupuncture. Mind- mind- mindfulness? Mindfulness, maybe? all these kind of things. Mindfulness will also come into the, my second tier, like okay, ah, therapy. It's tier two. Yeah. <laughs> then that's the, <laughs> tier two. Usually tier two and tier one work together because mm-hmm. having a therapist is almost like having a coach. Right. You have someone that you're accountable to and, uh, you know, you meet on a, a regular basis. So those two things usually are, I would say, 60, 70% of treatment when, when I'm dealing with patients. And then the third tier, what most people would be happy to know is medication. I was going you know, to say, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't jump to it right away. Eventually we get to the medication. Exactly. And sometimes you need that. In some cases, depending on um, the diagnosis, medication is something that's needed. You know, before this I was actually a family doctor as well. and I often used to say, okay, your blood pressure's a little bit high, or, you know, your sugar, you're kind of borderline diabetes. Well, let's do some lifestyle things, uh, diet, exercise. Uh, but some people just their genetics, and they need medication. So that's where kind of the stigma of mental health is as well, sometimes in terms of, well, I don't want to be on meds because that means I'm crazy or something like that. And we don't use that word really. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was surprised to hear it from yeah.
0: you. <laughs> so I often get that question at the, the, at the end of the consultation, like, am I crazy? I'm like, no, you know, everyone, everyone has shades gray like this. And, uh, but yeah, like I said, some people just need the medication, just like someone has cholesterol or blood pressure. And sometimes in cases, the medication is something which, where it's uh, actually a stepping stone. So say, for instance, for depression or anxiety, you know if you're too anxious to go to the therapist or you're too anxious to socialize that medication gives you that that uh, help in terms of maybe increasing your motivation or taking the edge off so you can actually go do those tier one things once again going to the gym and so forth right and and you know those tier one things
1: can help like uh, you know for me my mood absolutely changes after I've exercised, right, right. But there's only so much exercise you're going to do, and and yeah. if you're suffering from depression, although I just read an article that says that exercise is intrinsic to helping with depression. Definitely. If you have chronic depression, I don't know that exercise is going to fix it for you. Right? right. 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 And so part of your practice, I know, is also uh, medical cannabis. Right. So how does medical cannabis sort of fit in with the three tier structure that you're talking about?
0: Right. So like like I was speaking about like a third tier medications. Now medical cannabis isn't first line. To kind of give you a little bit of backstory, why I actually yeah. Not into medical cannabis, especially for doctors. When we were trained, especially in psychiatry, mental health, trained in residency, cannabis was bad. Right. Right? And in some cases, it actually can be a risk factor for things. So it wasn't unreasonable to think that or be taught that in our education. Uh, But I found increasingly, especially in the ER, I I kind of worked on both sides, so I kind of feel like I'm non-biased. that way. in the ER, I used to see a lot of people come in with drug-induced psychoses or anxiety or depression. So I was seeing the worst of it. But then on my outpatient side, I was seeing patients, especially in the last, you know, about five years, they're using cannabis anyways. Right. And it's kind of gone light speed what's happened in about five years where right. cannabis was illegal, and now it's just being accepted. It's legalized last year. So I start wanting to know about it. Uh, because as doctors, we want to actually work with our patients. Right. And it's you, st- you'd hope. Yeah. Right. right? And, and it's a strange situation for a doctor. We're used to giving medications and being the experts on it. Right. What I was finding is that they were being the experts on medical cannabis and how it's working for them. And I couldn't have that conversation. Well, I have a lot of doctor friends and, you know, the bias is certainly there, right? Right.
1: Because, you know, if they've been in practice for a significant period of time, you're right. Like you, they were right. told cannabis is 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 a problem as opposed to a solution. It, right. To flip the switch and and see that it might be part of the solution, I think would be a real mindset right? Yeah. difference, right?
0: Oh, definitely. And I, I actually the part of what I do is actually talk to doctors, uh, family doctors and psychiatrists. Psychiatry is really it's hard for them to come around because of the nature of what we deal with. But yeah, that's why I went into cannabis because I want to learn about it. And once I learned about it, I saw how much a difference it made in, in people's lives and that it is there is a role when maybe traditional medications haven't worked. And a lot of patients are like that. They're treatment-resistant or the side effects for the medication. So to have that, again, as a holistic approach, hey, these are all the options we have. Let's pick from one from here. one. Let's do a little acupuncture. Let's do a little exercise. Let's do right. a little therapy. Okay, medications that really haven't worked, they're making you feel... Zombie-like, or sometimes people say they don't feel have feelings, or disengaged, disengaged. Right. 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 Okay, you know what? Cannabis might be something, right? Um, but possibly. it's not—it's not necessarily for everybody, and right. there are people who
1: I'm sure you see who are already taking cannabis, mm. perhaps recreationally, or maybe even as a crutch, right? right. You know, yeah. like people who are suffering from issues, anxiety, depression, or whatever, and we'll get into those specifically. Right. Right. May already be taking cannabis, but perhaps in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons,
0: right? right. <laughs> And And, sorry, that was I was going to say that's the reason it's good for them to be engaged with a doctor, so right. we can actually talk about, okay, what strains might be uh, most helpful for you, or how can we do best manage this? Or, like I said, hey, you're just using cannabis. Have you talk about therapy? right. Let's do that as well. right. okay, so let's let's get into some of the specifics.
1: In your experience, and and I know a lot of this at this stage is it's anecdotal as opposed right. to perhaps yeah. clinically
0: yeah. researched. Uh, what are you seeing with cannabis and anxiety? And the, the three main things that it's helped m- most with, and I yeah. see it in terms of pain is the big one. Right. But a lot of times people have chronic pain, anxiety, and depression come along with that. So pain is one of the most prescribed reasons. Right. And then anxiety. It does have a pretty good robust effect for anxiety. Now, again, this is where the education comes in. Certain strains, uh, we start talking about CBD, THC levels, right. all that kind of stuff. They can S- increase anxiety. S- sativa, I was yeah. going to
1: say, you can, you can get paranoid if, yeah. you know, I, I know, apocryphally, I know of some people <laughs> people who who are Perhaps regular users of recreational cannabis. Right. And, and you know, it can you can get you can get moody if, if you're perhaps on a certain strain, right? Right.
0: I mean they used to think sativas. we right. went into oh that's the one that gives you energy and it can cause anxiety, but everyone's different. Right. And the analogy I actually use is well, it's the same thing with traditional medications. The first blood pressure medication might not work, or the first antidepressant might not work. So it's again that trial and error that can still actually happen with medical cannabis as well. Uh, but for definitely for anxiety, another other cool morbid things that come with pain, anxiety, depression is inside. So I think for me, maybe that's like the second or third most common reason for people to come in. And specifically for insomnia, because traditionally, medication-wise, we talk about sleep hygiene, right. all those, you know, you know, non-medication. Oh, we've covered that yeah. extensively on the show. We're, right. We're all there. Yeah. So, But we don't give medications long-term for insomnia. Well, well I was going to ask you, and is this about getting to sleep or staying asleep? Both. Really? Yeah. I can help with both. And that's where it becomes, okay, if it's maintenance of sleep, having an oil, because it stays in your system a little bit longer. Initiation of sleep, you might need a little bit of a vape or something like that, but even people just use oils generally. Okay. That's anxiety. What about depression? which is a little bit different. Right. So depression in my, again, an anecdotally an experience that I've had, again, depression comes with insomnia. That's one of the criteria uh, for that. If there's pain, if you treat some of these other factors with medical cannabis, obviously your mood is going to lift. So I tend to say there's like an indirect effect because you're actually treating some of these other comorbid symptoms. Um, and again, depression often comes with anxiety as well. Now, um, there are some people who have a direct effect. They just, just isolated depression and they feel that their mood is a little bit lifted. So again, it's a kind of a trial and error. But so far in my experience, I haven't seen as much as robust in terms of, I would say, like 90% of my patients who have insomnia, they're going to get some real results. Uh, anxiety, you know, I would say, you know, up to 60, 70%. Depression, I almost feel like the direct effect might be kind of indirect that way for treating some of the other comorbidities.
1: Oh, okay. So it's for my own edification. So when you're talking about depression, it's usually piggybacking with some of the other conditions that we're already talking about. So, so collaterally, if if you're treating, let's say anxiety, then the depression melts away. It's, it's kind of like if you're, if you find yourself, you know, I, I have my moods. So, Mm. you know, I find that if, if I get out and exercise or if I'm engaging with people or if I'm eating right. That can bring me out of the mood. So I guess what you're definitely. saying is if, if you're working exactly. on all these things collectively together, right, right. you can pull yourself out of the depression yeah, perhaps yeah, with yeah. the help of some cannabis. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. I understand uh, you also do extensive work with people who may suffer with ADHD.
0: Yeah. So actually in, in my traditional, like, I guess my traditional yeah. practice, um, it was something that after uh, about two years ago, I just found a lot of patients coming in and these are like 25, 26. I was going to ask patients. you the, the yeah. age group. And there's sometimes some doctors are a little bit weary about ADHD. It's like the typical college student trying to get through, you know, med school or, you know, burn through things. Um, but, uh, with, uh, with what I saw, just people who just never realized it and in retrospect. Having conversations with people that noticed this might be something that's been holding my back, holding me back in my potential.
1: Were these patients? Were they already on medication like Ritalin or anything no, like that?
0: No. So the, I ended my practice ended up being so big in that because I actually saw I saw the need for it. So I ended up filling that gap because it's hard to get full assessments for that. So it started there. And then, anecdotally, I start seeing it with my cannabis patients, my other clinic. Right. Um, they happen to have ADHD. Like I said, it's, it's rare that they come in with one thing. Right. Um, and they just notice. I feel like I'm focusing a little bit better now. Still not first line. Sorry, I want to get this right. <laughs> You're saying that cannabis is helping them focus. Yeah, yeah. And again, well, it's is it, is, is
1: it calming down their mind? Is that what it is? Really? Yeah.
0: yeah. They actually feel like slowing so, things down, maybe for them. Exactly. And it might be they have some anxiety. ADHD comes with anxiety as well. Right. So that's what we're starting to see. Not. By any means, first line, something I'm just starting to notice that with
1: right. cannabis as well. So I have an acquaintance. Uh, when I walk my dog, I see him and he was in the army and he suffers from PTSD. Right. And he swears by his medical cannabis. Are you finding that it's helping people with PTSD?
0: Yeah. I mean, my, and I did my training in the US. So I a third of my practice there was with veterans. Um, so I was happy to get involved with the veterans here in Canada. I really work with them a lot. And yeah, it's a huge uh, Improvement in their quality of life. The PTSD brain is actually different. You mean chemically different? Yes. Yeah, so it actually reacts to cannabis differently than maybe you and me would. So and well, the- you don't know me very well. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, most often the veterans, the regular medications haven't worked. They've gone through five, ten medications. Again, walking around like a zombie, no quality of life, and they switched over to medical cannabis. That is almost like a whole different subset for me when I'm dealing with PTSD veterans, first responders. That may may be an entirely different shell
1: for us. There's a lot to cover there, I know. But But I just wanted to mention that because it falls under sort of the mental health umbrella.
0: Definitely. definitely.
1: All right. So we've talked about the positives, but I think we have to acknowledge there are some risks uh, with cannabis as well, right? Definitely. So let's chat a bit about that. Hmm. So I'm just going to throw ideas out there. They're my ideas. They're not necessarily yours. And you tell me if I'm off base.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Is there any risk of addiction? Uh, Of course. Yeah, there is. You know, it's a low percentage. I tend to, you know, jokingly say caffeine has a higher risk potential, right? But we've actually found that people who've had other addictions, when they switch over to cannabis, they actually have less cravings for, say, alcohol and so forth. So with anything, there's still that risk, and we always have to monitor that, and that's what we do in the consultation that, again, you mentioned it before, we're not masking, kind of underlining, you know, um, things that have to be dealt with through therapy or so forth. They're just not using it as a crutch, as you said.
1: Okay. What about side effects? are there side effects to, to medical cannabis? Yeah,
0: again, this is where the CBD, THC kind of whole conversation happens. With CBD, for the most part, there isn't. Some people might feel a little bit tired. Munchies, yeah. <laughs> that can happen a little bit. Munchies are real. <laughs> yeah, those are a real thing, um, but that can be switched in terms of doing something differently in terms of um, a different strain. But, and then when you start adding the THC, then you have to be worried about what we talked about, increased anxiety. You know, there's still early research. Is there people who are pretty exposed to certain psychiatric conditions such as schizophrenia or bipolar? Can it Trigger it, so we always have to be careful with that. That's why taking a history is really important. I often say that, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, one of the reasons we, we weren't seeing so many people from cannabis in the ER is because it was, you know, whatever they grew was kind of natural, and yeah. the CBD THC levels were about equal. So if you increase the THC for g- getting it high, and that and that's what's happened in the eighties and nineties, yeah, there's actually inverse proportion of CBD that goes down. So CBD CBD is actually protective against psychosis. So I often say God kind of put it here for balance, and then the balance it should be, but you know, and, and 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 then we monkeyed with it. As usual, right? That's what we do.
1: (laughs) All right. And last question. Are there any contraindications for cannabis use?
0: Yeah, so absolutely if there is, like I said, a family history of schizophrenia or if the person of themselves had any kind of psychotic symptoms, whether it's medically related or because of schizophrenia or even depression, um, bipolar disorder is another thing we want to make sure that we don't uh, destabilize things. And then the, under the age of 25, it's kind of a soft criteria in terms of if ha- they haven't tried any other first line, then we should be a little bit careful because the brain is still developing to 25 years old. Right. So those are the kind of the main ones. And then, of course, there's a couple of medications, blood thinners and so forth that there are in Interactions, um, that we have to watch out for for the most part as well. But generally, it has a pretty good safety profile. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Okay, no and uh, you and I are
1: going to be on stage in a few hours. Looking forward to it. Uh, we've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how mental training can heal your body. And if you listen to the end of the show, you'll find out how to win a book from our next guest, Roxandra Mitria, on The Tonic. Now that summer has given way to the 9-5 grind, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario have created delicious breakfast recipes for seven days of eggs, showing Canadians how to shake up their workweek breakfast. breakfasts. With seven different sauces, it's easy to spice up a scramble or heighten the flavor of a whole hum sandwich for different eggs every day of the week. To get you started, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario are giving away five prizes of $1,000 in groceries. Visit TabascoSauce.ca for contest details and to find quick, delicious, and nutritious breakfast recipes, including some that are perfect for meal prepping for even the busiest of mornings. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their client's mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with a solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at VitalDirectives.com.
0: You're listening to The Tonic. On Sumer Radio.
1: Roxandra Mitria is a mind body coach, author, and the founder of Vital Directives, a leading center for vibrant and healthy living, preventative health, wellness, growth, and rejuvenation. The Vital Directives tagline, Awaken Your Body, Celebrate Life, is her motto. Roxandra has an unwavering belief in each person's inherent capacity for healing. Having had her own experience with the limitations created by chronic pain, she created a unique process that allowed her to heal her body. Roxandra has dedicated her professional life to teaching her clients the processes that will ignite their innate healing capacity, significantly reducing chronic pain while developing the skills to create and maintain pain-free active lives. Welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, Jamie. Great to be here again.
1: So today we're talking about an interesting concept. hmm You are likening the process of healing your body and and dealing with pain to training for the Olympics, right? (laughs) Yes. So how did you come to this notion?
2: As I was watching my clients go through a certain process uh, from really suffering and not believing that they're capable of healing or that it wouldn't happen for them to actually start to, starting to have a little bit more mental stamina and starting to have a little bit of belief in themselves and in the process to actually taking longer and longer strides towards feeling better and healing. I realized that it was a clear parallel between um, their process and, let's say, a high-level Olympic athlete's process. What athletes do... They have big goals and they have this the strong desire to achieve them. So the the strong desire to achieve what goals they have for that specific event that is what carries them through. Their desire to get there to get the medal to qualify to win the race right. and so on. That is the driving force. Yes. Because they have this driving force, now they're employing everything they need to employ in order to get there. So this means that they're uh, dedicated, they're disciplined, they do what they're told to do by their coaches and trainers, and they don't stop only at the level of the physical training. Okay. They work on their mindset, and they work on their um, emotional aspect um, of their lives. And that's what I thought that they did. And then I confirmed with a friend of mine who is an Olympic. I
1: was going to ask you, did you research
2: this? Yes, I did. I did. Um, I have a friend who is um, a coach for Olympic skaters. Yes. So I called him one day and I said, so, okay, tell me what type of training do these athletes go through yes, and how much of it is mental training and emotional training. And he said that they spend between four hours to more sometimes a week working on their mindset. They have trainers, they have coaches who help them with their way of thinking and with their way of believing and uh, help them unearth any fears that they have and work through them. So then I thought, okay, so they have really big goals for themselves. They want to achieve something that's hard. They are willing to do everything that it takes and then they're just doing the legwork. Right. And they're putting everything in.
1: Right. The mental and the emotional aspects as part of their training facilitates the ability to do the grunt work, the physical training, because because it's a marathon, right? Exactly. Like, right. It's like it, it's it's yes. it's the same thing as changing your lifestyle for health. Where exactly. you're you're dealing specifically with pain in, in this in this dialogue. But for example, if you want to achieve and keep your weight down, it's you, you know you can race to a result and mm-hmm. you might succeed in the sprint, but you know, you look down the road and you still have to maintain that effort and maintaining the effort is is purely mental and emotional, true.
2: And emotional, yes. So now if we're putting these two together in parallel lines, a person who's been injured or who's suffered uh, with chronic pain for a long time, their biggest goal is to feel better, to take their life back. Yes. Right? So if that desire... To achieve that is really strong, then they will too do everything it takes. And it's not just the body.
1: Do you find that a person's desire to be pain free is tied to their belief that they actually can be pain free? I mean, if you've been suffering pain for a long time, you get to the point where you don't you don't think it, it's ever going to get better, right?
2: Mm-hmm. That that can happen. Indeed, that's a very good point. the The desire to get better. I think that that is the driving force. Okay. I think that there comes a point where we're not willing to accept the situation that we're in. But do you have people
1: that come to your clinic who don't believe that they're going to get better? I I mean, they're coming to you because they want to. But when they come to you, are they all the belief that they can get better? Or is that something you need to work on?
2: It's interesting you're asking that because I feel that they might believe that they haven't found the the right thing right. or that their body is not really performing but a part of them believes even if they're not really aware of it that a part of them believes that there is something they can do to get better that's why they keep trying right they they try different modalities what happens at the level of the belief is that the fact that maybe sometimes they don't believe that their bodies will fall in line with a new way of being and moving and then we do work on, on so, so that let's,
1: aspect. So let's talk about the types of things that you do mm-hmm. to facilitate the mental and the emotional health mm-hmm. that, that parallels the physical things that you're asking them to do.
2: We do start working with the body from the very beginning. Right. We do movement. Right. It's an educational process that we go through. But while they're starting to perform very small movements that they can do, that they're confident that they can do well. There's something happening in the mind because, okay, this I couldn't do last week, but now I can do it. Okay, it's not big, but I can do this. If I can do this, what else can I put on top of it? And I can do more and I can do more every week. And there is a very clear message after a few weeks of of small progress, but constant, consistent progress. Slow and steady. Slow and steady, that the mind, even if initially wasn't on board with, with it, right. it, starts to open up. And then there's a question, okay, I, I did this. Now, where else can I go? What else can I do? And when this happens, then the physical body changes faster because now you have your mind and your body pulling in the same direction. Right. And if there are emotions, fears, and so on that come up along the way, then we're we're addressing them too. So
1: what sort of Takeaways when you were when you were researching this. Where are the parallels? What sort of things do you do in the process that bolsters the the uh, mental and emotional aspects?
2: Mm-hmm. I teach my clients to step by step, consistently change a belief. For example, you cannot okay. go from this hasn't happened, I don't think it's going to happen, to wow, I can totally see it. It's amazing. No, it's like what's the first thought that you can have that's believable? Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but believable. And that's a process. I call it the stepladder process. Okay. So, okay, if you're at the stage where you say, I don't think that I can do this right now. I don't think that this is possible. And then you can say, well, I don't think that I can do this right now, but I did this tiny little step. My ankle is moving better, or I've learned how to align my spine against the wall, or something that you know you did, and even your mind cannot... Go against that because that's the truth. Right. So from there you go to the next thought, the next process of changing your 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 thinking. And what happens as we're changing the way we think and the way we feel about the healing process, the tension in the body starts to, to release. So then the... Physical processes are happening faster too.
1: It's kind of like a snowball effect, right? It's like
2: a snowball effect, yes. so, So you
1: start seeing the change, you start believing that there's more, you're capable of further change. Yes. And that makes it easier to actually facilitate the change, right? Exactly,
2: yeah. The body responds very fast when we're working from all three aspects.
1: Okay, so if somebody wanted to come to you and and they had existing pain, what are some of the the practical steps that they can take to start that process? How do we get that snowball rolling?
2: The snowball. I always say find something that you can do in your body that doesn't hurt. So then as you're moving throughout your day, you realize that this is hurting, this is hurting. Then you can get yourself out of the, the trouble in your mind and the disbelief by saying, yes, but this movement doesn't hurt. Right. And if there's one movement that doesn't hurt then there's more. And then you you keep searching and you ask for help, you go and you ask for help.
1: Right. You know? Because that's what Olympians do. They have a team of people helping a them. A
2: team of people. Yes.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Next month, you're going to be back to discuss Break the Cycle of Pain, right? Yes. But in the meantime, for our dedicated listeners, if they tune in to the end of the show, they're going to hear how they can win a copy of your book, You Don't Have to Live in Pain, right? Yes. Excellent. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. It's new. It's powerful. It's the next generation. It's Purica Recovery 3.0, a new formulation for inflammation relief and healing that brings together the strength of the original Purica Recovery with the rapid relief of Purica Curcumin 30% BDMC. It's a powerful antioxidant, anti inflammatory, and immunity optimizer all in one. It works by repairing the damage and relieving the stress that's at the root cause of pain. It's Purica Recovery 3.0, and it's coming soon from Purica. For more information, visit purica.com. The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit free, and great tasting greens on the market.
3: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: My next guest, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background, which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. And I always wonder who all the everyone in between is. Everyone. Everyone. (laughs) For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. We're going to talk about overlooked grains, Okay, the grains that are obscure, Yeah, grain of obscurus
3: grainus, obscurus I really like that I think that's gonna be a topic of my next class why
1: are we doing this why are we talking about obscure grains
3: because we get bored yeah and we need spice in our life yeah figuratively speaking but we need to change it up add a little variety You know you come home and say what's for dinner yeah let's shake it up a bit yeah and also there's great nutrients in different grains and then we should toss it up a bit better than rice or as good as rice or different than rice. Yeah, different than rice. So let's all right, do it. So where are we starting? Okay, well, I want to talk about three different grains that I want to bring to the table today. But okay. let's start with farro.
1: Farro's amazing.
3: Farro's amazing. Some people call it spelt, but you know it's not spelt.
1: They're two different things.
3: Right. Talk about that.
1: Okay. Well, you're here. Yes, you talk, we'll about all talk about it. I'll talk
3: about it. Okay, well, I actually just want to talk about farro in general. Yeah. But farro and spelt are different, but they're not totally different. Yeah. They are both wheat. Yes. Okay, so just so you know, this is not a uh, gluten-free grain. No. Okay, it's wheat. Okay, so it's an ancient variety of wheat. It mainly comes from Italy. Yes. Okay, it has a nutty flavor, a chewy texture. It's fabulous. It cooks beautifully. takes a little longer to cook, yep. but then you could decide what kind of farro you're using. So if you go to the store, you could either buy it like a whole grain- or they call it semi-pearled or semi-pearlato in Italian, or pearled, which is not so great, and you lose a lot of the nutrients. So the most common one you'll see is semi-pearled, and that, to me, is the best one to cook.
1: Did you know, this is a little bit of historic fact, when they talk about the Roman legions... Okay. and how they ate and how they were able to conquer the world, what they were eating was pharaoh. Really? Yep.
3: I did not know that.
1: Yeah. They so didn't eat pasta that? rice. No, that, that was the grain. That was the de facto grain that the Romans used as their staple. And that's why they were so strong. Exactly. That's they why had, you should eat farro. That's why you
3: should eat pharaoh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I love it. Okay, so you could cook. How do you cook farro? Let's just, okay, so... Don't give me the recipe. Just how no, you no, 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 cook no, 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 no. Like,
1: like, we cook it like pasta. So okay, you, so you, me too. So you throw it into salted boiling water right. and it doesn't matter how much... Water. You need a lot of water, yeah, like, like, like you would pasta. with pasta. Right. And then you drain it. Now, right. But the thing with Pharaoh is. And it can be off-putting the first time you do it. You get like this little scum ring around the top. Right. So you have to rinse your farro first. Yeah. And you just have to be prepared that it gets this weird foamy scumminess, but that's okay. Right. Once you if you rinse it off after you cook it, you're fine.
3: Okay. So you could either cook it like pasta, but it really depends on what you're gonna make it for. True. Okay. So if you want to toss it into a grain salad or use it as the grain salad or eat it just as is, cooking it like pasta is the way to go. But there's two other ways to cook it. So you could cook it pilaf style, yep. like kind of like rice style. Yep. And then you need one cup of farro to two and a half cups of water. Yep. And then you cook it like you would rice and it tastes fabulous. And then you sort of ignore that scum. Yep. <laughs> but you are going to rinse the farro first. Always. So you'll get rid yep. of some of that. And the other way that I really like to cook it, and this is part of a recipe, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into the nutrients. But I cook it sort of like a one pot pasta.
1: I was going to say risotto
3: style. Okay, That's another way too. Yeah. But first, if you want to cook it like a one pot pasta, so you put like chopped onion, chopped garlic, yep. cherry tomato halves or cherry yep. tomato holes. You could even put handfuls of spinach and chili flakes and with a certain amount of water and you cook it uncovered. Yep. For about thirty minutes, and then you get it reduces down to a pilaf, but all the flavors have come together.
1: Okay, so I have this recipe and it's it's more of a winter recipe where you take a cube pancetta and you 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 kind of fry it off so it gets crispy. You oh, take it good. out. I like and that. That, with the remaining fat, you stir in some garlic and, and some onion and you get it nice and yeah. translucent. And then you pour in a can of tomatoes okay. and perhaps some borlotti beans nice. and you cook the farro in the tomato juice so the, the you don't farro's have to, raw farro's raw okay. and you don't add any water at all. Right, but it soaks up all of the oh, tomato Wow! and then you put the crunchy pancetta back oh yeah and it is you put a lot of parmesan on it and man delicious is that oh, it's, it's really kind of
3: like a risotto are you using the semi-pearled stuff for that <sighs> Because you're not, you have to be, yeah. uh, or the or the pearled, frankly.
1: No, it's not pearled. Not
3: the semi, So it's a semi-pearled. Yeah. There's a great Italian brand. I can't remember what it's yeah. called, but it's the most common it, one. It
1: comes vacuum sealed. Yes,
3: in like this brownish Brown box, package. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, so I just want to talk about the nutrients in farro. Yep. So in a quarter cup of farro, it's 200 calories. That's a quarter cup dry, mm-hmm. and it will triple, at least triple. Farro will grow to triple the size. There are seven grams of protein. Seven grams of fiber yep okay there's thirty seven grams of carbs and it has a very high it has great nutrients high in minerals and antioxidants it's great for reducing heart disease, diabetes, and apparently cognitive decline. So yep. this is all good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's good for debloating cuz it counterbalances the salt.
1: The one thing is it's hard to find. You have to go to yeah, an Italian true. supermarket. You're true. not you're not going to find it in the majors. No. But it's not too expensive. Nope. A package of it probably 3 or 4 dollars will get you two entrees for a family of four.
3: Probably right. Yeah. So cook it up Yep, and switch it up for the next time you make risotto.
1: Okay. I'm done showing off. Okay, The other two grains that you are bringing okay. to us today, I know nothing about.
3: Okay. Well, you could pipe in anyway. Okay. So well, here I'm we go. Try and stop me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one I want to talk about is amaranth. Okay, Really, people don't cook with this. Yeah. I don't know. And it. it's amazing, especially if you're keeping gluten-free. Because it's a gluten-free grain, okay? It has a very similar uh, nutrient profile to quinoa. It sounds biblical. (laughs) I think it actually is biblical. Okay, so it's technically not a grain. It's a pseudo-grain, just like quinoa. And it looks like a tiny little poppy seed, but it's white or beige. I've
1: I've seen them, actually. Okay, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a great way to reduce the nutrient power of any gluten-free recipe, Okay. And it contains lysine. So that's why it's similar to quinoa, and that's why it makes a complete protein. It has 13% protein per cup, 26 grams. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, iron, cholesterol-reducing properties. So one cup of amaranth has 31% of the RDA for calcium 14% of vitamin C, 82% of iron, and 13 grams of fiber, which I already said, keeps you pretty regular. That's a big bonus. Okay. So let me just talk about how to cook it. Okay. So you could cook it like pasta. And for me, it's the easiest way you cook it. It takes about 15 minutes in boiling water. Another great way to cook it is like porridge. So it's one and a half times water per um, amaranth, so half a cup of amaranth, one and a half cups water. You cook it, spread it in a pan. This is really delicious. I know you're going to run home and do this. Spread it in a pan, let it cool, cut it into slabs Mm -hmm. or roll it into small croquettes even, and you could fry it just as you would polenta.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
3: Yeah, it's really good. So I want, everybody should go home and try Amrath. You can get it in all the health food stores. Easy I was going to ask you. Yeah, easy, Bob's Red Mill makes it. Okay. Okay. The other thing you could do with it is put, stirred into soups as a thickener because it falls apart. And okay. it looks like porridge. And what I like to do with it is I make my own trail bars and include it, I include it into the oat mixture. So I'll throw it in just as a little bit of a crunch. Okay.
1: When, you came, when we uh, recorded the TV show, uh, you brought some
3: yeah what crunch. You
1: made some crunch. And I think you put amaranth in that
3: crunch. I about, might have. Yeah. I very well might have. It doesn't really have much of a taste, so it's great yeah. to add it on. You could even sprinkle it raw onto your yogurt in the morning. Okay. It, there's a lot of protein to it, so don't overlook it.
1: So you can eat it raw. You, can, sure. you can't eat the pharaoh raw. That I know.
3: No, no, you can't eat the ferro. I put raw amaranth into my trail bars that don't require any cooking. Okay. Okay, so yeah, you could eat it raw. It looks like birdseed. Actually, millet looks like birdseed, okay. <laughs> which is the next one we're going to talk about. So what you know as birdseed is millet. Yeah. But it's not just for birds, Jamie.
1: Yeah. I think they use it 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 to feed cattle as well. It's it's a a grain that's a livestock.
3: For sure. And it's a great grain and you should definitely try it. It is also gluten-free and you could use it just as you would rice. You could add it raw to muffins or cookies. Okay. So you could throw it in also. I cook it again like pasta. Um, I add it to any grain salad. It's not great on its own um, Why is that? Just because it loses, it, it gets lost. It looks like couscous. So I don't love a couscous salad. I like warm couscous, but if you're going to mix it into a salad, you might want to mix it with quinoa or okay. mix it with another grain. I actually make millet in my rice cooker with another grain. So I'll put millet quinoa and brown rice all together.
1: And they all cook at the same rate? Yeah.
3: So if you get one of those new age rice cookers, like yeah. a smart rice cooker, not like a dumb one like, like we used the, to have.
1: Like the, the pots are you talking about? Or the uh, slow cookers? or the No,
3: like an actual rice cooker. There's yeah. a brand, it's a Japanese brand, it's incredible. And you choose which setting you want, white rice, brown rice. So I actually put the millet, brown rice, and quinoa on the white rice setting and it comes, I know, I know, that's counterintuitive, really? but I do. Yeah. Remember this when you go home and do it, you put on the right, white rice setting, and you can mix all kinds of grains together. And the smart cooker knows how fast to evaporate the water and to slow cook or speed cook the rice. It's incredible. So it takes on the flavor of any dish. So you can mix it into anything, salad dressings, hot dishes, tomatoes, and it's fabulous. It has copper, manganese in it, phosphorus, magnesium. It's an antioxidant. It has heart protective properties. It helps regenerate um, body tissue. Uh, It works on the amino acids, and it improves your digestive system. So how you want to cook this if you don't cook it like pasta is you cook it like a porridge. Again, one to three. And you can look it up on the internet, but go and start cooking with millet. It's fabulous. Make a big batch and freeze it. Do you have
1: recipes for these grains on your site?
3: I have some of them on my site and not all of them, but please feel free to shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to send you a recipe.
1: And if people wanted to go to your site, it is delicious dish.ca thank you so much for coming on you the show are today so welcome. you're going to be back next month and we're going to discuss cooking with salt oh, right love it we've got to take a short break but we'll be right back on the tonic I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor Omega Alpha this company is 100% Canadian owned Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa.
3: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sagrati. She has a post secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She specializes in training yoga teachers, and she is the co-founder of Evolve Retreat, a phenomenal opportunity for women to celebrate and grow together in Costa Rica. For more information, visit evolveretreat.org. Welcome back to the show, my friend.
4: Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. I'm so excited to communicate with you today.
1: Yes, me as well. We're (laughs) we're all about the mindful. We're going to communicate about mindfulness and mindfulness communication mindfully.
4: Exactly. That's exactly what we're going to do.
1: So let's talk about... There's two parts of communication, right? There's the actual speaking and then there's the listening. So let's talk about what engages you when you're speaking to somebody. What what do you look for?
4: Yeah, I think this is, it's not just what I look for. I think this is pretty common to everyone. You want someone to be listening to you. And that means not distracted, not planning their day in their head, not worrying about a conversation that they've had in the past and definitely not on their phone. Uh, So that's a big thing. You want someone who asks questions. This is a really big one. Like I I would say, if I think about social interactions when I'm observing them, and where I see people kind of falter or fall apart is where one person is asking all the other questions and the other person isn't asking any. Right. Uh, so that's a big problem. I think we can unpack that a little more in this interview. Uh, you definitely want someone who is non-judgmental. So someone who isn't hypercritical, maybe. Right. Um, and, and, that, and that... Oh, that's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually... You were uh, waiting
1: hyper, for that, weren't you? That yeah. the
4: hypercritical was for you. I just yeah. kind of added that in there. And, you know, that, that means that you want someone who is curious and open to what you're saying because that curiosity and that openness is going to facilitate. Uh, connection, and and I think, you know, if we if we kind of uh, riff off connection, it's you want when you're engaged with somebody in conversation, it's so much smoother when the other person is either positive or warm. Yes. Okay. And I, and I say either or because, you know, sometimes you're having a debate with somebody and you're coming from two totally different perspectives. Uh, but if you do it in a way that is warm or respectful, there, there can be still a really meaningful connection there.
1: I agree. You know that's what you look for in somebody who, yeah. who you're engaging with. But the, some sometimes we we do things that are perhaps off putting. We may not even be aware of it, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think often people aren't aware of it. And um, so when I think about the things that really that are really off putting, or that trigger me in a conversation, or that make me walk away and think, ugh. You know, like that feeling where you're like, oh, I don't want to do that again. Like the number one thing is somebody who just talks about themselves, right? And this is, I think it's pretty unconscious for a lot of people. And I see it, I see it in the wellness industry a lot, which can be a surprise, Um, but just someone who talks incessantly about themselves or their own experience. And and it makes the conversation really one-sided and the other person ends up feeling flooded. Have you ever been in that situation where someone is just, it's a barrage of information about them and you just you walk away feeling tired.
1: It can be exhausting and, and you wonder whether or not they even care about the audience. Like well yes. you, you know I'm guilty of it sometimes. I will I, I will talk about myself. I have been known to do that. Um <laughs> but but you know I always thought of it in terms of well, you know, if I'm saying yes this applies to me, I'm reaffirming what that person is telling me, right? Like yes I agree with you. I find I find that as well. Yeah,
4: yeah absolutely I, I, I guess
1: the question or the, there's a tipping point where if you do it too much. uh,
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what you're doing is not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who comes into a conversation and they start with themselves and they're not actually giving you an opportunity to say whether you agree or whether you don't agree. It's just like you're being flooded with information about them.
1: A little bit of narcissism. A
4: little bit of narcissism. Well, we all start out life, you know, a little bit egocentric, right? But Mm -hmm. ideally it decreases over time. So, you No, so i think that that's pretty problematic it can be it can be pretty off-putting um the the next thing is someone who responds to your stories with the the one upping right so it's like you you know maybe maybe you're connecting with a friend and You want to tell them something that happened in your day and and they're like you think that's bad this is what happened to me right and it's always the situation of of one-upping and it just it doesn't facilitate connection even if even if you think it facilitates connection it doesn't it's it immediately makes you feel like you're not being heard you're not being mirrored you're not being you know connected with and and it's it's
1: diminishing like somebody tells you something good or bad and yeah. then you one up them or one negative them. You're diminishing yeah. what they're saying. You're,
4: well, that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly it's almost the conversation has moved into a competition. Right, and that just pulls people away from each other.
0: What else? The
4: next thing is people who project their feelings or experiences onto you. And, um, you know, I have this story. I I met with my daughter's teacher. I'm sort of afraid to say this on the radio, but but we were having this conversation and she interrupted me in the middle of the conversation to tell me a story about her daughter and then projected all the stuff onto my daughter that came from her daughter. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. And I immediately felt completely misunderstood you know, completely misunderstood, and this is very common. Um, The next is, you know, someone who isn't present, and I already said that, it's like someone who's on social media, someone who is insensitive to subtle cues, including body language, facial expression, or timing, right?
1: I, Yeah, I, I feel like that's one that may be out of people's controls. I mean, s- some people have a better developed sense of EQ. They're just better at reading emotions and faces than for others. For
4: sure, for sure. But it's something that you can always build on, Okay. right? It's, it really is. It's, it's, it's a skill that you can build, you know, and, it, and that's about mindset. It just really recognizing that you can improve your social interactions, especially if you have social anxiety, by learning to tune into those things. Okay. And the final thing is somebody who complains all the time. Yeah. Right? Like that constant complaining can feel, again, like you're being flooded.
1: Also, there's no perspective, right? If everything's bad, nothing's good.
4: Exactly. Exactly. All
1: right. So let's, let's move on to what we can do to improve.
4: Okay. So the first thing is to listen, right? And all that means is focus on the speaker, wait for them to finish, stop yourself from Interrupting, And sometimes we interrupt because we're really excited or we're predicting something and we want to show that we're engaged. And so we, we say, wait, 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 no, this is going to happen. And unfortunately, that again, cuts the other person off. Right. So number yep. one is just listen. Yep. Once they finish speaking, demonstrate that you've understood. Right? And this, is, this involves some kind of mirroring, right? So that you're expe- reflecting the experience back to them. And, and this might look like saying, uh, okay, so what I'm hearing from you is, or even what you said before, Jamie, what you do is, you know, if you're responding to someone and you say, oh, well, I find that to be true for me too, that is a form of mirroring.
0: Yeah.
4: Right? So that's actually totally appropriate. The third thing is to really put yourself in the speaker's shoes, right? So after they've spoken, instead of talking about yourself or your situation, try not to give them a personal response, right? Yeah. Really think about what they're experiencing. And, and so when someone tells you something, it might, it might look like saying, oh, wow, I can see how that, that might be really hard. Or even asking them, like, how did that feel for you? Right. What was that like? So that they can have the opportunity to respond. Yep, you know, obviously, be totally present. We've, we've kind of nailed that over and over. Yep. Ask questions, right? So learn to ask questions. And, and I really see this, um, you know, sometimes at extended family events. It was just uh, Thanksgiving here in Canada. And so I was watching all these dynamics unfold with extended family members. And, and I was like, wow, if people just knew, you know, just ask questions back and forth, it would just facilitate communication that's so much more smooth and easy for everyone.
0: I'll agree.
1: although you know i've we've been out with friends, and you know we'll sort of decompress after the evening, yeah, and you know, Naomi and I will turn to each other and and say, you know we don't know what's going on with them because all they did was ask us questions uh-huh. and, and have
4: you ever uh-huh. been in
1: that situation where somebody's just peppering you with questions and you oh, you feel absolutely. like all, all you've been doing is sort of bringing them up to date and you don't well, know what's going on, you know?
4: It- that's almost like you're being interviewed, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I do in that situation when I notice that's happening? I'll actually say, "Okay, guys, you know, let's let's stop the interviewing. I want to ask you some questions. Just name it. Be explicit."
1: One couple we're thinking of, they're like diabolical. They're really good. You can't get any information out of them. They'll they'll turn around <laughs> another question. I, I I believe I need more training with you yeah. before I and. They're perfectly pleasant. We have a great time with them. But it's really funny. Like, it's the same thing every time we go out with them. It's always, we're always answering questions.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're really well-trained. Yeah. They're really, really well-trained. Yeah. Yeah. So you you just have to interject. You just have to jump on top of them. I guess. So funny. You know, the other thing I wanted to say, too, is just to be present to your own experience. What does that mean? um, So I have this friend, one of my good friends, we always talk about our spidey senses, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, you know, when you're in a conversation, if you just really tune into your body, you might start to pick up, you know, when someone's actually infringing on your boundaries or if you feel like, oh, maybe I don't want to establish a connection with this person based on the way that the conversation is going. Your body will tell you that way before your logical mind kicks in.
1: Unless you're a paranoid like me.
4: Well yeah but you're you're like an outlier right I am an
1: outlier <laughs> It's true I, I find that most conversations are an intrusion onto my personal. Now that's not true. It's
4: easy. So your that's spidey not. Senses. I'm just you can't joking. To your spidey senses.
1: No, mine are way off. My senses are off.
4: They're off. Okay. Um, okay. Well, for for the average person, they'll like tune into your spidey senses, you know, and figure out what your spidey senses feel like. Like for me, it's like my skin's crawling a little bit, and and that's where you know I, I have to kind of reflect afterwards and go, okay, is this a person I want to be in communication with?
1: Yep. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
4: My pleasure.
1: Next month when you come back, we're going to discuss mindful conflict resolution, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's going to be amazing.
1: Excellent. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. And for great articles written by fantastic writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website, tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. The winner of the Sababa Cookbook is Joanne Bove. Joanne, congratulations. I'll be sending you an email to let you know how to get your prize. If you'd like to win the book, You Don't Have to Live in Pain, which we spoke about today, send an email to jamie at tonictoronto.com. In 50 words or less, tell me why you like listening to The Tonic and answer the skill testing question. Who was my guest who discussed how mental training can heal your body? We'll announce the winner next week. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the healing qualities of chaga, mindful eating, why you might need a coach, and strategies for couples' conflict resolution. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week.
0: Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.